Thanks for taking the time to listen to these recordings of our Sunday morning sermons. The Door Church is one church in two locations on mission to see lives restored with the gospel for God's glory, and we'd love to have you join us. For more information about our gatherings in Louisville and Argyle, visit us at thedoorchurch.net. Now, let's worship God by opening His Word. All right, amen. Uh, We're in a new sermon series, uh, Faithful Exile. We've been here for a few weeks, so if you have a Bible, go and grab it. We'll be in Daniel chapter 3. Daniel chapter 3, that is maybe a hard book for you to find. It is for me, and... I've been, I've been in ministry for like 13 years, so you're in good company. It's in the Old Testament. It's in the prophets. If you have the Bible and the seat back in front of you, under you, it's around page 738, but that kind of gets you in the general area. Uh, if you're new here, my name is Scott Brooks. I'm the lead pastor, and I have the privilege to be on the preaching team, and we're so grateful that you're here with us this morning. Um, if, the, if you are new or want more information just about the Door Church, uh, there's a connect card in the seat back in front of you. We'd love to connect with you. That's what it is. So uh, you can fill that out and put it in the joy box as you leave. That'll for sure get you at least on the newsletter, but also get you more information about our kids ministry, our student ministry, men's, women's Bible study. It's a way just to kind of keep uh, up to date with what's going on at the Door Church. I can't tell you how many times people have said, oh, I didn't know that. Well, if you fill this out. It'll bridge that gap that you should know uh, what's going on in the Door Church. Secondly, is we have a membership class, uh, membership class today. So uh, that may be that may be for you, and maybe not. But what that is is you can learn more about the Door Church. That's what it is. And so you don't have to become a member. It's a great way to learn. What is the mission of the Door Church? How have we been here? Why are we here? Uh, what does it look like to be a member? You can find out more, kind of kick the tires, and just walk away. And there's no, no, no strings attached. Or if you're like, man, I feel like God's leading us here, there's a, that's the on-ramp to become part of our church family. And so that's at 12 o'clock today. You can just come. So go grab a bike, come back. We do have uh, child care for that time if you're worried about that. Uh, that um, we'd love for you to join us today, membership class. And that kind of brings us into the, the next point. We have a member meeting. So uh, we have a church family me- uh, member meeting on February the 4th. You'll receive an email, um, and you'll have to register to come and to have child care. But it's be 1 to 2 p.m. Uh, next, next Sunday, so February 4th. Uh, and that's going to be an email to members. And you're like, man, that may seems like it's isolating. So at the, the, God designed the church to be a church family. And this is not work we're trying to hold out, but there's some family issues that we talk about. We're going to try to do that once a year. And so you're invited, and if you want to more, know more, maybe a membership class is right for you. But we have these, these times where we come together. It's like, here's what we're doing. Here's where we're at. What questions do you have? They matter. What concerns do, are you seeing? Because not only do we want you to know what we think God is leading us to and to celebrate what God has done, but we also want feedback. We, we, we so care what was going on in our church family's life. So we'll have that here in Argyle uh, next Sunday and then in Louisville, uh, February 11th. So you should receive an email if you're a member, and we'd love to share more about that. All right, Daniel chapter 3, 1 through 30. Uh, The sermon title this morning is Through the Fire. So if you haven't been here uh, as we started the book of Daniel, I think context absolutely matters. So Daniel um, is, is a time period, of course, Everyone, not everyone knows, but a lot of people know Daniel. Uh, he's the prophet. He's a guy in the lion's den. A lot of, a lot of things have been written about Di- uh, Daniel. But wh- how, how did Daniel get in Babylon? We, ha- we have to look at to some degree. So 
Because of Israel's disobedience, because of Judah, really the southern part of Israel's disobedience, God, I'm going to say it, God sent Judah into to Babylon. And you can read that in, in Daniel chapter 1. So what we find here is, is Judah, a group of people uh, in exile. So they're not in their home country. So King, uh, King Nebuchadnezzar, um, for, for this purpose, I'm going to call him King, King Neb, besieged Judah, uh, took took. Uh, the treasury from, from the house of God. And then what he did was super interesting. He's setting up a vassal kingdom in, in Judah. So he took the nobles, the royals, the government, people of high, high stakes within Jerusalem, and he exiled them into Babylon. So modern-day influencers. Who are the people that you look up to to bring them into uh, to Babylon to assimilate them, to, to change them over from being uh, aligned to uh, aligned to and uh, allegiance to uh, Judah to, to Babylon. So that's what he did. So his goal was to assimilate them to uh, Babylon culture. Therefore, man, he'd sway really the hearts of, of Judah, which would be his vassal kingdom. So all that to say, so they're out of their home. They are exiles. They are, they are not where they, they, they grew up. I don't think we can understand how, how devastating this would be. Um, now the question is, in the sermon title or series is faithful exiles. The question is how how are they as they're young, prominent uh, people within Jerusalem supposed to be faithful exiles in a foreign country to a foreign king that has foreign gods? How are they supposed to interact in this circumstance? It's a great question. Now it, it's a I think it's a question that we need to ask ourselves. How are we to be faithful in our own lives right now? Like, so this is, if you're a Christian, uh, this is not your home. This is, this, is, this is temporary. We're moving through this life into the next. How, how am I supposed to be faithful with my life? How am I supposed to be faithful with my family? How am I supposed to be faithful with my gifts, talents, and treasures? How am I supposed to be get, uh, faithful with my time? How am I supposed to be a faithful exile um, right now? I, that's what they're trying to figure out. This is what we have to figure out. What does it look like? Uh, I think another question is, how is God asking you to live today, knowing that you're in exile? This is not your home. These are very practical questions. How am I supposed to show God's faithfulness? How am I, how am I supposed to display God's glory uh, in my life today? Now, what's so interesting, these are questions that were being asked. Daniel, Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, his friends, they were asking these questions. How am I supposed to be faithful as Babylon has ripped me from a home country, as I'm, I'm living under a new, a new kingdom, how am I supposed to serve God? How am I supposed to interact with the people all around me? If, I, if their goal is to assimilate me, to, to change my mindset, to live for that culture, how am I supposed to live? These are questions they were asking. Now, there was an argument actually in that day. There's an argument even between uh, the exiles and Israel. How are we supposed to act? And there's actually some prophets that are going back and forth, and you'll find that in Jeremiah 29. There's one prophet who's a, a false prophet saying, hey, don't assimilate, don't do anything, segregate, don't worry. God's going to rescue you out of Babylon. We're going back. Don't worry about it. And then Jeremiah says, no, that's a false prophecy. That is a false prophet. That's not how you should interact. In, in Jeremiah 29, verses 4 through 7, he tells us how to be faithful exiles. It says this, Thus says the Lord of hosts, is Jeremiah speaking to the exiles of Jerusalem. 
the God of Israel, to all the exiles who I have sent in, into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. He says this, build houses. I want you to build houses, live in them, plant gardens, and eat their produce. Take wives and have sons and daughters. Take wives for your sons and give your daughters in marriage that they may bear sons and daughters. Multiply there and do not decrease. Verse 7, but seek the welfare of the city where I have sent you into exile and pray to the Lord on its behalf. For in its welfare, you, uh, for you will find your welfare. So there's a totally different idea here that Jeremiah says. Basically he says, I want you to live your everyday ordinary in a new country. I want you to take wives, to plant gardens, to build houses, to seek the welfare of the city, actually pray for the country on its behalf, and its welfare, you'll actually find your welfare. Now, this is interesting because a lot of us, we live in a world and we, we're fed a lot of different ideas about how to interact in a world that's not Christian or biblical morals or whatever it may be, there's some even thoughts from the church that I would say it's false prophecy, so to speak, that we're supposed to gain in a holy huddle, that we don't interact with them out there. They're the bad ones. We're the good ones. We got it together. And, and that's, we just got to wait for the Lord to return. Like we, we just kind of get ours. This is ours. And you know what? We're, we're good. And that's not the, what the, the Bible says, nor does the Bible say, hey, we should not look any different than the world. That's not what it's saying either. Like, yeah, yeah, just take it all in. It's all good. Live just like them. It's actually that we're supposed to be, we're supposed to live in the world. We're not supposed to be of the world. So this idea that we're going to walk in wisdom in between worlds, what to display God's glory and seek the good of others around us. Now, here's what's interesting. I want you to hear the context. I don't, I don't know for really wrapping our head around. Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, young teens ripped from their country in a new land. You know, <laughs> I think some of us think like, you know, our lives are hard. This is hard. God planned it. And what I want in my life, if, if you just ask me, heart of hearts, like just unchecked response. You, if you ask me like, hey, what do you want your life to look like? You know what I want? I want, a, I want an easy life. I want, I want a favorable circumstance. Um, this is, this is me, a, a, a metopia view of my life. I want what I want. I think that that's what most people's knee-jerk reaction is. I even said so much to a coach one day uh, who is, he's, he's a big-time basketball coach, and he, he, I was talking to him, and he came to church service. He's leaving, and he had a big game. I was like, hey, good luck. And he looked at me, and he's like, I don't believe in luck. And I was like, yeah, I mean, I, me neither. No, sovereignty of God. I believe in the sovereignty of God. Um, and, and what really did challenge me, he said, I don't believe in luck, I believe in God's story. And, and I was like, it just hit me like a ton of bricks. This is God's story. Whether I win or lose, it's God's story. Like, I shouldn't be praying for, for the most favorable outcome circumstantially. I'm, I should be looking at this. This is God's story. What Jeremiah gave Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego is this. This is probably not what you would have planned for your life, but I want you to hear this is what I planned for your life. This is my story. And so under this idea that this is God's story, God has you right where he wants you right now in the circumstance that, that he has you to display his glory. We're going to see what kind of purpose that he has for Daniel and his friends in this story. It's all about God's glory. And listen, the maximum good for the people around him. This is God's story 
for his glory, and he wants you to impact the people around you. So here's, here's the guiding truth to be faithful exiles from we see in Jeremiah. If we are going to be faithful exiles, we need to engage in culture and not be defined by it. That's the what. This is how we live. We seek the well for the city. We're, our lives should look like everyone else's life to some degree. Like, man, you look, it's everyday, ordinary, and normal, yet we have this vantage point or this, this God view. This is God's story. And he's moving in my life always to glorify himself and to maximize my life to bring other people really the goodness of God, to show how faithful God is. So I just want to recap. This is where we're at in Daniel chapter 1. They're challenged by this. How are we going to engage in culture but not be defined about it? D- defined by it. How are we going to show this is God's story, not just my own story? So Daniel and his friends uh, find themselves under the, the king's guard, and they're trying to assimilate them. And what they're doing is, hey, you're going to have to learn literature, education. You're going to be assimilated to Babylon culture, and I want you to have the food and wine of the king as we assimilate you and your friends to be Babylonians. And so what we see in Daniel is Daniel and his friends said, hey, you know what? We're going to learn. We're going to be educated. We'll learn the language, yet we're going to abstain from the the king's food and wine. So you see this kind of like, we're going to be in the world, but we're not going to be defined by it. So they're living in this tension. It's like, yes, we'll learn. Yes, we'll be educated. Yes, we'll find wisdom all in the world, yet we're not going to eat the king's food. Now, they don't tell us why, why whether that's sacrifice to to, uh, false gods or idols or, you know, whatever it may be. But they're saying, hey, we're not going to eat that food. I, I guarantee you the king's food's really good. You ever been in a nice restaurant? Better than that. If you're drinking the king's wine, that's real good. So he says, I'm going to live in the world, but not, I'm not going to do that. So the, we see this tension. They're going to be in it, but not of it. So in chapter 2, we see uh, the king had this dream, and there's this image that disturbed him. He's like, you've got to tell me not only what the dream is, but also the interpretation of it. No wise man could do it. Daniel and all his friends and all the uh, Chaldeans are about to be killed. And what happens is Daniel says, steps up and he says, God will reveal this dream to me, not only the dream, but also the interpretation. He goes into King Nebuchadnezzar, tells him the dream. And, and you know, I'm just going to say for me, when something goes really well in my life, do you know what I like to do? Is I like to touch it. And what I mean by that is like, I don't know if you just saw what I did. I did some pretty cool things there. I mean, I'm, I'm a really good dad. I'm a really good pastor. I'm doing some really like, yeah, they're doing good, but I don't know. I'm trying to get some of that shine myself. This is what Daniel does. In, in chapter 2, verse 26, it says, No wise man can show you the, king, uh, the, king's, uh, the king's dream or this mystery, but there's a God in heaven who reveals mystery. He took no credit. He's like, you know what? God did this, and I want you to know this is who my God is. So he understands, you know, what was at stake here. He didn't, he didn't even negotiate. He's like, I'll, give you, I'll tell you the dream if you let me go. That's not, that wasn't even a stance. Like, man, I want you to know who, who reveals dreams, who's the creator of all things. This is how they're kind of living in the world, but not uh, living uh, for it and being defined by it. So now we have here in Daniel chapter 3 this tension. They want to engage in culture, not be defined by it, be faithful exiles. And hear me, they understand from Jeremiah, this is God's story. He has a purpose right where they're at for the glory of God and to impact uh, Babylon and this culture. I want you to hear that yourselves. God has you here, wherever you're at, the job you're at, the neighbors you have, the schools you're in, on purpose. It's not, by, it's not coincidence. God's story, for God's glory, to impact those around you. Uh, this is uh, really, if you can wrap your head around this, it will change 
the way that you see everything going on in your life? How do we, how do we be faithful exiles? So let's pick up in Daniel chapter 3. It says this. I'm going to read. It's a great story. Most of us know it, but it's a great story. We'll read 1 through 7. It says this. King Nebuchadnezzar made an image of gold whose height was 60 cubits and its breadth six cubits. So you get, basically got a 90-foot statue, a 90-foot statue, nine feet wide. A giant statue is what King Nebuchadnezzar had built. He set it up on the plain of Dura in the province of Babylon. Then King Nebuchadnezzar sent to gather the satraps, the perfects, the governors, the counselors, the treasurers, the justices, the magistrates, and all the officials of the province to come to the dedication of the image that, the king, that King Nebuchadnezzar had set up. All this is, he's made this huge, huge statue. And then he gets the who's who's with all, and all the communities, like, I want you to be here. So just think of all the special people, the, 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 the government, the royal people, all the people are there to say, hey, this is a big deal. This is the who's who's of the society. Verse 3, the satraps, the perfects, the governors, the counselors, the treasurers, and the justice, the magistrates, and all of the officials of the province gathered for this dedication of the image that King Nebuchadnezzar had set up. And they stood before the image that Nebuchadnezzar had set up, and the herald proclaimed aloud, you are, uh, you are commanded, O peoples, nations, languages, uh, that when you hear the sound of the hornpipe wire, trigon harp, bagpipe, and every kind of music, you are to fall down and worship the golden image that, the, uh, that King, Nebuchadnezzar, King Nebuchadnezzar has set up. And whoever does not fall down and worship shall immediately be cast into a burning, fiery furnace. Therefore, as soon as the peoples heard the sound of the horn, pipe, lyre, trigon, harp, bagpipe, and every kind of music, all the people's nations, languages, fell down and worshiped the golden image that, the king, that king Nebuchadnezzar had set up. There's a few things going on here. One, this is that assimilation process. No, number one, he got the who's who's of the society, so the influence of the society. What, uh, the king of Babylon, he's man, just destroying all these kingdoms and bringing these, these royals, these people from different countries, trying to assimilate them, teach them the language, teach them their education, teaching them about their gods. And this time, it says he has all the peoples there and all the nations there and saying, we're going to, man, we're going to bow down to this God. And what's interesting here, it didn't say you got to deny your God. What he said was, you're going to need to worship this God. So this is kind of the, the culture God that everyone can have their own separate gods and have their own separate lives. But in addition to that, we're going to be assimilated to this God. That way we have unity. He's bringing unity to his country by saying, this is the one thing that we will all worship. You can keep your life separate, but you can come under this and, and uh, we will be kind of this one people. And then he has a whole bunch of music playing. So just think about, man, this is, this is magical. Uh, this, is, this is overwhelming. This is an all-inspiring experience. Um, you could you could imagine the music. Music is emotional. Man, I, and imagine the crowd. I, I tell you what, I went to the opening day uh, for the Ranger game. I know it was a year or two ago. Man, the, the energy of the crowd was incredible. The, the, the music was pumping. And then, then, then they had a, a plane. I don't know what kind of plane. I'm not that guy. A big plane fly over, and you, the stadium shook. And I'm going to tell you something. And the weirdest thing happened. I started to cry. Like, I was so overwhelmed emotionally. Like, it was this emotional experience. I'm like, why am I crying at a baseball game? Why? Because the, the, it was a magical experience. This is what they're trying to create. This awe-inspiring, worshipful experience. This music is grander. This is the God that brings us together. And then uh, we'll keep going from there. Uh, of course, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego are there. Uh, verse 8. We'll, we'll read it. It says, therefore, 
At that time, Chaldeans, or certain Chaldeans, so what's so interesting, I, gotta, I, gotta, I just want to do a brief excursus from uh, the, the sermon, but the Chaldeans were just recently saved by Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. These are, these are wise men that were about to all be destroyed because they didn't know the king's dream, didn't know the interpretation of the dream. But now, because uh, after Daniel interpreted the dream, they got a promotion, these guys didn't like it, so therefore, at that time, these Chaldeans, who were just saved by these dudes, came forward and maliciously accused these Jews. They declared to the king, Nebuchadnezzar, O king, live forever. You, O king, have made a decree that every man who hears the sound of the horn, pipe, lyre, trigon, harp, bagpipe, and every kind of music shall fall down and worship the golden image. And whoever does not fall down and worship shall be cast into a burning, fiery furnace." Therefore, certain Jews whom you have appointed over the affairs of the province of Babylon, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, these men, O king, pay no attention to you. They do not serve your gods or worship the golden image that you have set up. So basically, these, these Chaldeans, these wise men, are after Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, either out of jealousy because they got promoted, maybe as anti-Semitism. I, I don't know. I don't know what's going on here, but they did not like them. And then we'll pick up in now verse 13. This is where we're going to deep dive for a little bit. Then Nebuchadnezzar, in furious rage, commanded that Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego be brought, uh, be brought to him. So they brought these men before the king. King uh, uh, Nebuchadnezzar answered and said to them, is it true, O Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, that you do not serve my gods or worship the golden image that I have set up? Verse 15, now if you are ready when you hear the sound of the horn, pipe, lyre, trigon, harp, bagpipe, and every kind of music to fall down and worship the image that I have made, well and good. But if you do not worship, you shall be immediately cast into, the fiery, uh, the, into a burning, fiery furnace. Now I'm going to stop there. So basically, he brings them together. He, he, he really does enjoy these people. Daniel, man, gave him the dream, gave him the interpretation. He promoted these guys. He, he likes these guys. He wants to have favor with these guys. They're, they're, they're good employees, so to speak. He's like, I want you to have a second chance. I don't know if you understand what I'm saying. If you don't bow down, you're going to die. I'm, I'm going to uh, throw you into a, a burning, fiery furnace. It's not worth that. Just, just bow. You can have your gods, do what you want, but bow down to this God he, he, he wants them to bow down because, frankly, he likes them. He's trying to give them uh, a, a second chance. Now, I also just want to mention here just how, how amazing it, this is of just God's story. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego are teenagers from Jerusalem standing before the king, the king of Babylon. How crazy is that? I, I think we're just like reading that. Yeah, 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 yeah. That's God's story. Somehow, he brought these, these nobodies from a far country in front of this king. I just want you to see how crazy this story actually is, because we read it as a story. I, I want you to think about your life, what God has brought you in and to. I mean, it, this is God's story. You are God's story. I don't know where you came from or how you got here or who, who you're around, but it, it really is a miracle. You got to think about all the things that had to happen in your life to be, the, to be where you're at, the places that you've seen, the people you get to talk to. This is God's story. I, don't, I think they recognize this. God has them here on purpose. I think this is why they're to, able to act in such great faith. There's no coincidence here. They didn't like back into to being in front of the king. 
God had a plan for them to be there. And God has a plan for you to be in front of whoever you're going to be in front of in the purpose, for his purposes in your life. And we need to see it that way. And I believe they certainly do. Now, they ask, they ask the question of questions that we all got to answer. And it says, and who is the God who will deliver you out of my hands? You know how amazing this question is? He's like, hey, here's the deal. I want you to bow down. I'm going to give you a second chance. You don't do it, I'm going to kill you. And if, if you don't bow down, who on earth, this, here's the question he's at, who on earth is greater than I am? There is no one that's going to be able to save you from my hands. Now, this is the good question that we all have to answer. Who is, who, who is the greatest in our life? Or, or, or who is able to deliver us in this life? Who's able to control this life? In your life, you're going to have to, like, what is actually your security in your own life right now? The question that he's asking, who is greater than I? I want you to ask this question. Whatever that King Nebuchadnezzar is in your life that asks you this question, I think we all have this question in subtle ways, or maybe it's very out loud by your boss. They're asking, who is greater than I? They basically, you should fear me above everyone. So are you scared? Are you scared of sickness over? Are you, are, are, are you, are you scared of sickness or fear sickness over the fear of God? You think sickness will have the last say in your life? Do you feel that the brokenness in your life will have the final say in your life? Is there a big sin in your life that you think has the final say in your life? Who's able to rescue you from that? Is there a habitual thing that you keep going back to in your own life? And it's asking you, who is greater than I? And it's this God-like voice. It's like, there's nothing greater. I have you in your mind. It's paralyzing and it creates fear. It's what it's supposed to do. King Nebuchadnezzar is asking this question to create fear in their lives, to control them. Is there a shame in your life that's so paralyzing that, that holds you where you can't move? Is there a suffering that, you're, that, that is a great fear in life? What do you fear? Here is like, who is going to, who is greater than I is the question he's asking. And of course the answer is, man, we should fear God. We'll get there in a little bit. But he's like, who, who, the King Nebuchadnezzar, whatever in your life, is like, what is greater, like, what's the most scary thing, or what's the greatest in your life? And I just want you to think about what had to be going in their minds to some degree, and I hope what goes into our mind to some degree, who is greater than any circumstance in life? God is. God is the creator of all things. He spoke all things into existence at one point. And you know who holds it together? God, right now. You know who the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob is? God. He's the God of covenant. He's the God of promises. The same God, that, that, King Nebuchadnezzar, who's greater than I, we have a God who flooded the earth and saved Noah through the ark. We have a God who parted the Red Sea for Moses and says, I will fight for you. This is our God. God gave favor to Daniel in chapter 1. He gave favor to Daniel in chapter 2, and we'll see he's going to give favor to them in chapter 3. God is the same yesterday, today, and tomorrow. The question, who is greater than I? God is greater than anything, and we need to see it that way. See, this God is greater than any scary thing going in your life. We should fear God. This is what Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego is teaching us as they confront King Neb, who holds their life in their hands. Listen, listen to what they say uh, in, in, in verse 16. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. 
answered and said to the king, O Nebuchadnezzar, we have no need to answer you in this matter, (laughs) which I love. Um, What what they say is, one, I I I don't need to defend my God. He is who he is. He needs no defense. Number two, I don't need to defend myself. Why? Because this is, God's my defense. One, God doesn't need your defense. And two, I don't need to defend myself to anyone else because he is my defense. This is what God confidence they have, whatever they're facing. Like, I don't know if you know who God is. He is greater. Now, verse 17 and 18 is very uh, known and it's very impactful, but I want us to look at it. It says, verse 18, Oh, oh, Nebuchadnezzar, we have no need to answer you in this matter. Verse 17, if this be so, our God, whom we serve, is able to deliver us from the burning fiery furnace, and he will deliver us out of your hand, O king. So listen, he is what? He is able. He is able to deliver us from the fiery furnace, and he will deliver us from the fiery furnace. Uh, And then it goes on to say, Verse 8, but if not, be known to you, O king, that we will not serve your gods or worship the golden image that you have set up. This is their answer. One, he is able. He, they, that's the resume. He is able. You are not greater than God. God does anything he wants, whenever he wants, how he wants. He is greater than you. God is what? Great. Period. Check mark. Able. Whatever go, is going on in your life, like God can't do anything about that. He can. He can. Anything. Man, he, he creates and sustains life. He owns everything, right? So God is great, able to, he will, he will, he is good. Check. He is able and he will. God is good. He is faithful. I don't know what's scary, what is scary going on in your life. He, he is able and it says he will. And what I didn't just say, he's going to give you what you want. But he is able in the sense that he's able that, that he is able, and hear me, he's good, that he's doing everything a part of his perfect plan. That's what C, uh, the, the last part is like, but if not. So I'm not saying God's going to do exactly what I want in my life on my timeline and my agenda, but I am his, and this is his story. So he will, at the end of the day, if I'm in Christ, bring me resurrection. This is what it says. Paul says, to live is Christ, what? To die is gain. It's win-win. If you're in Christ, Hebrews 13, verse 6, says it this way. It'll be up on the screen. So we can confidently say, the Lord is what my helper. I will not fear. What can man do to me? Nothing. There's nothing that man can do to you. Why? Because God is for me. So even if you die, if you're in Christ, you know what? You're going to live. Live as Christ. Die is gain. They're not saying God's going to do this, but ultimately he will because we're part of his story. Verses 19 through 23, let's look out how it plays out. It says this, Then Nebuchadnezzar was filled with uh, fury, and the expression of his face was changed against Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. He ordered the furnace heated seven times more than it uh, was usually heated. That means maximum heat, complete heat, could not be hotter. And he ordered some of the mighty men of his army to bind Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego and to cast them in the, uh, the burning, fiery furnace. The, uh, then these men were bound in their cloaks, their tunics, their hats, and their other, or other garments, and they were thrown into the burning, fiery furnace. Not only was it heated to the maximum degree, they also put kindling around them, which is their clothes, 
Uh, he wanted them to burn because of the defiance. Verse 22, because the king's order was urgent, the furnace was overheated. The flame of the uh, fire killed those men who took up Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. The people who were going to throw them in died. That's how hot it was. And these three men, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, fell bound into the, fiery, uh, uh, into the burning fiery furnace. Verse 24, it says, Then King Nebuchadnezzar was astonished, and rose up in haste, he declared to his counselors, did we not cast three men bound into the fire? They answered and said to, to the king, true, true, O king, he answered and said, but I see what, not three, but four men unbound walking in the midst of the fire, and they are not hurt, and the appearance of the fourth is like the son of God. So now, I'm going to stop right there. So three went in, four's walking around. Now he says, and, 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 and one of them looks like the son, the son of God. One looks like God. That's what he's saying. He doesn't know, he doesn't know who God is, but he's like, hey, someone else is in there. They're unbound, uh, walking around. So this is called a theophany in Scripture. This is a manifestation of God, a manifestation of God, right? Uh, some people say it's a Christophany. This is the pre-incarnate Christ. I'm not going to get into that, but there's three. Now there's four. One looks like the son of God, right? Here's, here's my, ma my, my, my major point. That God, God wants to walk with you through the, uh, the life when you have fire. Or he wants to walk with you through the fires of life. I need you to hear that. God wants. His desire is that you would not work, walk through whatever scary thing it is alone. He, that's not, he does not desire that. Now you can, but his desire is to walk with you through the fiery furnace, through the trials of life, through what is every scary, whatever it's a big sin, whatever it's the shame, whatever it's the fear of sickness, whatever that fear, he's like, I want to be there. So I'll give you an illustration, and i got to move fairly quickly. My buddy, Dr. Bill, who is a, he's a heart specialist. He's wicked smart. He builds mechanical hearts. Now he's doing sports, sports stuff. He's the uh, sports doc for all, all the different sports teams. He was in town on Wednesday. I hadn't seen him in a while. We went to, to breakfast, and he's like, hey, did you, get my, did you get my Christmas card? And I said, no, I don't check my mail. Um, and he's like, um, he, he pulled out a picture, and he, and he showed me uh, a picture of his brain. And he had two tumors on his brain. He's like, I, 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 I don't know if you knew. I, I had two tumors on my brain in July. I was like, I, Dr. Bill, I, I didn't know. So why don't you text me? I would love to, to you know, walk with you, pray for you. And, um, and, and, and by God's grace, they were not, they're not, weren't cancerous. They were able to remove them. He found out by it because they were growing so big into his brain that his, his eye was turning black. It was pushing his brain down his spinal cord. He was having severe headaches. Uh, and if he was about to go on a mission trip and they didn't get him into surgery, he was going to die. It was, they were that big. And by God's grace, uh, surgically removed, doing great. And I said, man, how, how did you deal with that? How, how did you deal with that? And I was like, man, that's, that's overwhelming. He has five kids and amazing dude. He goes, you know what? It's pretty overwhelming, but, but I, knew, I, knew God, I knew God had me. And when I went into the MRI, um, they asked what, song, you know, what, what music I want to play, and he put on some Christian music. And I went in the MRI, and you can imagine the machine. I've been in there, and it's real loud. And he goes, Scott, the song in Christ Alone played. And it just played in my ears in Christ Alone. My life is found. And he goes, I can't tell you what I experienced, but the peace of God surrounded me. And I knew God was with me. He didn't know he was necessarily going to live. He said, I had the biggest peace I've ever had in my life, that God, that God was going to take care of this, and he's with me. 
I wrote some down here that's theologically, I don't know if it's even accurate, but I'm going I'm to say it anyway. But the Holy Spirit is like a thermostat. When the coldness of life comes in, and it's frigid, and you think there's no way out, man, the warmth of God kicks on. I know I've experienced this. The sustaining grace of God, the comfort of God, and he'll, he'll simply whisper, I have you. I'm, you are mine. Now, we all need this. They're, 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 although they're in a hot spot, they're in a very cold spot in their life. And they need to know someone's walking with them through this trial. And we ultimately know this. Listen, God desires to walk with you to the fire. Don't hear me say that he is. He's only going to walk with you in the fire if you understand that he came to walk for you in the fire. He'll walk with you if you understand that he'll walk for you in the fire in the fire. We know this. I don't know. It's a theophany, Christophany. I don't know who's in the fire, but God is in the fire. There's some revelation here, but what we do know is in the New Testament, our God is a God who comes incarnate. God became man. He dwelt among us. He did that. He wanted us to know him. Where is God? Where is God in our sufferings? Where is God when we're hurting? He came near. He wants to be with us, and listen, he came to suffer for us. See, ultimately, we all deserve the fiery furnace, namely the wrath of God and hell itself. But Jesus on the cross bore not part, but all of our sin, took the wrath of God. Why? So we can have the peace of God always on our life. The favor of God, the favor of God, the smile of God cover our lives. Why? Because he took, he took the wrath of God. If you believe this, if you believe this, that he died for us, he will always be with us. He'll always walk with you because you understand there's, there's no condemnation for those in Jesus Christ. There's only peace and favor of God. It doesn't mean your life will be easy. He'll walk with you whatever trial is in your life and he'll see you to the other side. We have a God who suffers. You know why we have a God who suffers? Because we, we have a God who loves. I need you to hear something. You have a kid. You know what? I, I suffer for my kids. I'll give up sleep. I'll give up time. I'll give up my life. You know why? Because I love them. You know what proof of love is? It's suffering. I want you to read what it says in John 3, 16. For God so loved the world that what he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. God so loved that he gave his son. Jesus suffered. So you can know that you are loved. And he'll walk with you whatever you're going through. This is the promise of God. This is what, what got them through the other side in the fiery furnace. This is what will see us through the side. Whatever's going on in our life, that God is with you. How do I know that? Because Christ came for you. Have you believed in him? Have you surrendered your life to him? This is, not, this is forever and objectively true, but it's particular. Have you received the gift of eternal life, the comfort of Christ forever? I gotta move quickly. Verse 26 through 28, it says this. The Nebuchadnezzar came near to the door of the uh, burning fiery furnace. He declared, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, servants of the most high God, come out and come here. Come out and come here. Then Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego came out, of the, uh, out from the fire, and the satraps, the perfects, all the people around, so all the who's who's are there, and the satraps, the perfects, the governors, and the king's counselors gathered together and saw that the fire had not any power, uh, power over the bodies of those men. I just got to stop right here just for a second. The fire had no power over them. I, whatever is going on in your life, it doesn't have power over you. It may seem like it has power, but it doesn't have the final power. It doesn't have the final say. Your circumstance, your sin, your suffering, your sickness doesn't have the last laugh, doesn't have the final say. Jesus does. 
Jesus has the final say, and he says it's finished. He says, I am the resurrection and the life. He says, whoever, uh, although he dies, he will live. He says, I will never leave you nor forsake you. He says, I am with you. And he, is, he, he will not have the final say. And then verse 28, uh, we'll close here. Nebuchadnezzar answered and said, Blessed be the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who has sent his angel and delivered his servants who trusted in him, set aside the king's command, and yielded up their bodies rather than serve and worship any, any god except uh, their own god. So I'm going I'm to I'm stop right here. This is God's story. God sent these men into exile to stand before a king that controlled everything, to defy the king, to show here's the true God who came, who died, who rose again, who walked with you through the fire. He sees this is the objective God. There's no other God like this. You know what he says? This is the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. He sees the objective power of God, the goodness of God, but he does not surrender to it. We'll see in chapter 4 what happens. But he sees the testimony, this is who God is. The question, are you going to say, man, that's good for Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, that's their God? Or are you going to cry out, this is my God? This is my God. This is where I'm going to surrender my life. This is where I'm going to yield and trust him with everything. He is objectively the king. The question is subjectively, will you cry out and ask him to be your king? Let's pray. God, I pray that you would help us see (laughs) this world is yours. This world is yours, that you are the king of kings. And everything is in submission to you. I pray that we would want to be in submission to you. God, I pray that through your words and the power of the spirit that we'd see as we look at Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, young men ripped from their homes, ripped from their families in a foreign kingdom saying, this is God's story, that we would look at our lives no matter what's going on saying, this is your story. And that we long to be faithful exiles showing your faithfulness. Help us surrender our circumstance, saying this is not by coincidence, but but your sovereign providence. And we want to display your glory to those around us. Help us do that. I pray that we would experience what the the text says this morning, that the fire has no power over us. Whatever that scary thing is in our life has no power over us because the only, only power belongs to you and everything actually serves you. So help us not be scared, but fear you, God, who's in control of all things. Help us not be like King Neb here and say, man, this is the God of the Bible. That's God of some people. That's God of so-and-so. That's God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Help us say, man, I want you to be my God. Help us cry out and say, Jesus, be my King. Jesus, be my Savior. Jesus, be my comforter. Holy Spirit, I pray that you would comfort us this morning, strengthen us this morning, that we would walk as faithful exiles experiencing your peace and your favor. I ask that in Jesus' powerful name. Amen.